Emma is a scoundrel. Amongst other things that Emma does, she would eat the pizza off your plate if she saw you with pizza. If you had your lunch, and for a moment at lunchtime, and you had a sandwich, and you turned your back, Emma would have your sandwich. As a matter of fact, I think there was a time when Emma ate a whole batch of cookies, and it was so bad she had to go to the doctor. Emma is the resident golden retriever at Evans School, where Mrs. Braun is a teacher. And she is a scoundrel. And you can say to her as many times as you want, bad dog. And it doesn't do a lick of good. And she's not really a bad dog. She's actually a very, very nice dog. But golden retrievers, most of them, I guess, like pizza. And they definitely like sandwiches. And they're also into cookies. And they don't mind whose they are. One of the reasons why Emma does this, are you with me? Emma doesn't have a conscience. She wasn't made with a conscience. She was never intended to have a conscience. Perhaps she could be trained, but it would take an awful lot of work. And as I well know, it's difficult to teach an old dog, and she is fairly old, a new trick. So she'd probably still do that. But you're different. Turn a human being upside down, as it were, and begin to examine what makes up a human being. And you're going to find some things that you need to understand. First of all, you're going to find sort of a bag of bones. I mean, there's going to be bones and skin. There's going to be a heart. There's going to be a liver. Uh, not a gizzard, but there's going to be stuff like that. And there's going to be kidneys, and there's going to be lungs. And we understand those things in a certain measure. But when you're looking at a human being, sort of turned upside down so you can see what's all in there, there's also what we like to call a psyche. And it's why we have people we call psychologists or psychologists. The word psyche just means soul. That's what it's about. It can even mean life, but you got a soul inside you. And you know, it's easy to turn us upside down and look at the physical parts of us. But because we live in a world where, especially in our culture, where only things that we can taste or touch or see or feel or hear, only those things are real to us. And so when you look at the psyche, things get rather complicated because we sort of have this big blur that goes in front of our eyes. Now, if you look at the psyche, the psyche, if you look at the soul, if you look at what's inside, you're going to find there's a human spirit that's there. And you're, you're going to find a capacity to know that most of you don't know much about. We often just use the word noose. It's a Greek word. But we tend to have a hard time finding an English word to translate it because it's a word that means you have a capacity to know that, that's sort of like intuition, but it isn't knowing by rational discourse, by going through reasoning and so on. And it doesn't mean mind. Usually it gets translated mind when it gets translated into English, but it doesn't really mean that. It's a capacity to know. 
inside, it's while the, the epistle is being read, the priest prays a prayer. Illumine our hearts, O Lord, who loveth mankind with the pure light of your divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind. Oops, that's the noose. To the understanding of your gospel teachings. Because what we're praying for is that piece of you inside that other kind of knower that that'll actually go to work while the gospel's being read so you'll understand it. So we've got inside there, we've got a soul, when the soul, we've got, we've got that human spirit, we've, we've got the heart, and we've got this mind that is this illum this this special thing this noose and inside you as a piece of you is also a conscience and we read about that in the epistle today because in the epistle it says of the gentiles and the jews but he's speaking specifically of the gentiles he says when gentiles who have not the law, do by nature what the law requires. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts. That's one of the pieces inside, okay? Written on their hearts, while their conscience... There's another one of those pieces. While their conscience, written in the heart, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts. This is, a, this is a lousy translation, but we'll stick with it for a while. It's the Revised Standard Version, but it's the only one who renders it, this passage this way, and it's not very good, but we'll use it for now. While their, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse. The word perhaps just ain't there. Uh, but it's a very hard passage to translate. I admit that. But it's just not there in the Greek language. I'll explain what's happening here. Conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So the homily today is about your conscience. This peace in you, as it were, I don't want to make it too separate, it's just part of you, this thing you got in you that you are made with. Now, in the physical side of the body, let's just take the biceps. When a little kid is born, that little child doesn't have very strong muscles. And if a little baby goes like that, you don't see much in terms of biceps. But then you look at our governor in California, who just a few years ago had some pretty big biceps. How did he get them that way? Well, he did a lot of pumping iron. He did a lot of weightlifting and bodybuilding, and he built up those biceps. It has nothing to do with what kind of a governor he may or not be, but you got to admit he did some great bodybuilding. My point is that in the physical body, you can build up pieces. And in the soul side of you, you can build up pieces. You're born with bones. You're born with biceps. And they can be developed. You have a muscle, skeletal muscle structure that can be built. And so in your soul. Now the conscience. Let's talk about the conscience. God made you so that his law is written on your heart. 
You got to have some kind of a criteria to guide you. You have to have something. You just can't just wander around aimlessly. And God made you so that his law is written on your heart. And he gave you, part of you, a conscience. What does the conscience do? The conscience is that, many of the fathers called it this, that inner voice in you. That inner voice that discerns between right and wrong. Even a prophet in the Old Testament, when prophesying about the Messiah to come, speaks of a point in the child's life when that capacity to know right from wrong will be developing. That capacity to know right from wrong grows. When my children were small, we understood there was a difference in their understanding of right and wrong. There were times that I would punish one child for doing something where a younger brother did the same thing with him. Why did I unfairly punish an older brother and not the younger? The answer is simple. The older knew better, but the younger didn't. And so I would have to examine my children, all five of them, and figure out how do I deal with them when they did something wrong. When Peter's name appeared on the side of an apartment in Isla Vista near Santa Barbara, and Peter was not even two years old, I knew that it wasn't Peter who had written his name on the apartment wall. I wasn't sure who did. But Peter didn't get punished because his name was on the wall. Tommy got punished. Because Tommy, like Emma, was a scoundrel. And he knew better. But I knew that Peter didn't know enough to know, enough to know better. And first of all, he sure couldn't have written his name. So you see, there is a developing capacity within you to know right from wrong. And this capacity in you is extremely important because if you read the epistle in its fullness and if you take it home and read it again, you'll see that it even has something to do with the day of judgment. When you stand before God, and you better be ready to plead your case because there's been a lot of times in this life when you have violated your conscience. Is that not true? Haven't you violated your conscience often? Well, you better be there to plead for mercy, and it would be a good time to start right now pleading for mercy. How many times have I violated my conscience over the years? But now let's talk about that conscience for a moment and what happens with it. First of all, I've said that it can develop. Secondly, now you notice these hands of mine. Since this goes on the radio, uh, you're going to just have to imagine that the priest is standing there with his hands up. These are not lily-white hands. I use my hands a great deal. I love to be in the garage. I love to work with wood. I enjoy working with metal. I used to love to take cars apart and usually got them put back together again. And when you do those kinds of things, you get calluses. 
Now, some of you are even so wicked that you did what I did as a child. You had calluses. And you remember when you used to took stick pins or needles through a callus on your hands? Some of you did that, didn't you? And, I, and it was just fun. I could stick myself and it didn't hurt. Very important point to make a point. The point of the pen did not hurt because of the callus. How did the callus get there? Because it was rubbed against over and over and over again. And I developed this rather insensitive hunk of skin. And you know, those of you who like to play, especially with nuts and bolts, you know, if you go out with lily white hands and try to take your car apart, it's not going to be long before your hands are sort of like raw meat because you're messing around with threads and you're messing around with nuts and bolts and, and uh, electrical connections and stuff that's sharp, and you like to have some calluses on your hands, they protect you. But it's a bad thing for the conscience. And sometimes what's happened, if you over and over and over again resist your conscience, St. Paul says you're going to get calluses on it. You're going to have a calloused conscience. And when you've got a calloused conscience, your capacity to discern between right and wrong is incredibly weakened. There's just something way back there, that voice that says, what you're about to do is dead wrong. It's against the law of God. That law is written on your heart, and you know it is. But it's just like it is, you're so insensitive, you can barely feel it anymore. And then you go ahead and you do whatever it is. Whether it's a criminal act, whether it's an immoral act, uh, whether it's even an act in church. Children. You know, children, the first time they lie to their parents, are usually bothered by it, just... A fair amount. But some children know, and all parents know, that it's really easy to get callous to telling lies. And sometimes our consciences get so calloused that we can't even tell the difference between truth and a lie anymore. We think we're telling the truth when we're telling a lie. We've told it so many times we start to believe it ourselves because there's such an insensitivity there. Now, why is all of this so important with respect to this epistle? Well, it should be relatively obvious if we start at the beginning. Brethren, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. All who have sinned without law will perish without law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. It's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God or justified before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And then he goes on to this business of the conscience. And what happens is this. Hang on, this is the most important part. What happens inside you, it's like a trial. And you're confronted with something that you're tempted to do, and that's when your conscience goes to work, right? The conscience goes to work when you're tempted. And what happens is this, witnesses are called. The conscience is called as a witness. And the witness is witnessing. It's telling you what to do. It's like a trial. The witness is born, the conscience is saying, this is written in the law of God. You ought not to do it. It's not 
natural. It's not normal. It isn't right. And you start to do it. And the conscience says, don't you do that. Has your conscience ever said that to you? If it hasn't, you really got calluses. Don't you do that. But I want to do it. Don't do that. But it's okay. Everybody's doing it. Do you see what goes on? That's why that passage was hard to translate. You see, what it's talking about is that what goes on in your conscience is an alternating argument that is going on. It says accusing or defending. Yes, no, yes, no. What am I going to do? That's what the conscience is there for. It's telling you what to do. It's down inside you. It's a piece of you. And you need to remain sensitive to it. How do you gain a sensitive conscience if it's no longer sensitive? Or how do you increase its sensitivity? Number one. Number one, you need to deal with your sins. Number one, you need to confess your sins. If you do not confess your sins, and I'm not even speaking specifically of coming to confession with a priest right now, you need to acknowledge a deed that is sinful, when it is sinful. Not just in God's hearing, but in your own hearing. You need to say to yourself, what I just did, folks. Don't just say it was a naughty thing to do or not the best. Call it what it is. Call it a sin. Name it. I did that. I have altered the truth. I stole that. I took that. I cheated on that. Whatever it was, I did that. Your conscience will get more calloused if you don't. So number one is you acknowledge when you fail. You admit your sins and don't hesitate with the word sin. It's not a bad word. It's an important word. It's a healing word when accepted correctly. It isn't a condemnatory word. It's a diagnostic word. It's a word to help you understand what's going on inside and that you need to alter your behavior. Secondly, what you need to do is then repent. I'm not betraying anybody's confession. When you do go to confession, whether it's public or private, don't you confess the same sin sometimes hundreds of times? over and over and over again. You know, there's only one thing I really care about when I listen to a confession, whether it's my own or any of yours, is do I, do I have the resolve to quit it? Because if I don't have the resolve to quit it, it doesn't do any good to confess it. You acknowledge it, but then you say, but I want to amend my ways. And then you say, but I know I'm going to do it again. I don't care if you know you're going to do it again. Resolve not to. God, help me. I don't want to do it again. I repent. It was wrong. I turn from it. You acknowledge it and you turn from it. And then, thirdly, ask God to help you gain a sensitive conscience and the strength to live by it. Why? Because one day, amongst other things, you're going to stand before the great dread judgment seat. And the books are going to be opened. And your name is going to be called the Priest John. Sometimes when it comes to judgment, that sounds like an oxymoron. The Priest John. Here's the books on you, John. Jonathan, here's the book. You did this, this, and you did this. Yes, 
But when you did this, you knew you shouldn't do it, right? Yes. Well, why did you do it? I mean, it isn't going to be this way. I'm, you know what I'm saying. It doesn't even have to be said. I know it, don't I? Because what's going to happen is my conscience, even at that point, is going to rise up. And on some things it's going to be able to say, but I thought it was okay. I really did. My conscience is going to defend me. And on some cases, my conscience is going to point a finger and say, you knew better, didn't you? Yes. Do you know what you do, by the way? This is the great thing about the gospel. Do you know what you do with the stuff where your conscience points at you and says, you're accused, you did wrong? Do you know what words you need at that point? You need the words, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's your only plea. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. Don't be presumptuous with that, but use it. So today, my exhortation to you is, you've got a conscience inside you. Let it be sensitive. Work for it to be more sensitive. Ask the Lord to help you with your conscience. Ask him to give you the strength to obey, to follow your conscience. Your conscience will work off the law of God written in your heart. So let your conscience do its work. And then, my final exhortation to you today, conscience working, plead for mercy for where you fail.